Good to see all of you today. Happy Mother's Day. Good to have you joining us from Midlothian. We wish you a happy Mother's Day there also. And uh, as always, when you leave Mother's today, as you go out these doors, we have some chocolates for you here at the theater also. Uh, You know, one year, I think it was about three or four years ago, y'all remember we handed out carnations? Wow. You know, mom will tell you what she wants, right? And uh, we had a number of mothers say, don't do the carnations again. Where's the chocolates? And so uh, you'll get chocolates today on your way out. Uh, you know, this is, this is a great day. And, uh, it, it, you know, for me, man, my, matter of fact, my mom is here with me this Mother's Day weekend. And, you know, my life, my, my memory, my, my experience with her is just filled with just nothing but wonderful. I think of my own wife and, and the mother she is to our children. And this is a good day for me. I enjoy this. I enjoy the opportunity to express gratitude and to honor. And I know many of you, that's the same thing. Of course, a day like this just brings a, a, a mountain of emotions, doesn't it? And I hope for many of you, those are, those are good and wonderful emotions. But there is a lot of things that go on this day. You know, there's some of you maybe for the very first time or maybe the second time are walking through Mother's Day. Uh, and this is the first time mom's not here. Or maybe a child's not here. Uh, maybe this is a Mother's Day you're walking through. And we remember, you know, when we're thinking about this whole thing about being a mom and a child. And we realize sometimes that relationship's not always what it should be. And, and there's some tension there, and a day like today highlights that. Sometimes we walk through this day, and we're remembering that we never were a mom, or, or that that's not happening uh, for us. And there's just some real heavy emotions. Man, how do you walk through that? You know, the good news is you walk through this day, hopefully, prayerfully, like we walk through any day. As we start off by saying, hey, God, this is your day. This is your day. It's for your glory and for your purposes. So how do I honor you in this day? What do you have for me in this day? Gosh, what if we started every day of the week, every day of the year that way? What do you have for me? Maybe it's going to be some difficult emotions. Maybe it's going to be some difficult memories. What do you have for me as I walk through that? Hey, Lord, what do you have for me maybe as I walk through some some good things and some good emotions? Every day is God's. Let's honor him, and we end up honoring everyone and everything around us. You know, as we think uh, uh, about moms, and of course with moms comes the kiddos, the children. That's what, that's what makes all this work. And I'm reminded uh, this spring we've gotten to know a little child pretty well. Uh, if, if you're the average American, a little boy by the name of Colton Burpo, a four-year-old. He's not four years old today. He, he's actually 15 years old today. But the story we've come to know is when he was four years old, this little four-year-old was rushed into an emergency appendectomy and in that surgery died and had a a near-death experience, had a brush with heaven. And and as I just said, that today is called NDEs. I've been learning a lot this last week or so. NDEs, a near-death experience. And his story has really heightened our interest in, in what that is, what's going on, what's happening in those things. The, the, his story, of course, is told under the title, Heaven is for Real. The book was a runaway bestseller, millions and millions of copies. Uh, the movie has been out for over a month now, and the first 10 days made over $50 million. For a movie of that genre, of that type, is, is by any definition a, a, a blockbuster. And, and so we're very 
very interested. We're going to see the story. We're, we're reading the books. People are talking about it. And, and while Colton's story seems to have kind of run ahead of the pack, it, it's not the only story. It's, it's not the only one out there like that. Imagine some of y'all remember, because I heard some talk about this. I read it. Uh, I don't even remember. It's eight, ten years ago, maybe, the story, 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper. Don is a Southern Baptist pastor that was in a car accident, pronounced dead at the scene of the accident, covered up, and, and then while they went to attend to other, it was a multi, multi-car person situation accident, while they were attending to others, he was there on the side of the road dead for, for 90 minutes, and in that 90 minutes, he walked through, walked through heaven, met the Lord there. And then, of course, he gives us 90 minutes in heaven. Bill Weiss gives us 23 minutes in hell. All things being equal, I would opt for the tour book over heaven. I don't care how many minutes it is. <laughs> so, you know, we got these stories, the, the, these things happening. And, and while we have stories that, that go back, now it's very, very rare. We have stories that go back hundreds, even thousands of years. But something has happened in the last 20, 30 years, that is, that is just exponentially shooting these stories through the roof. You, 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 just ha- you look at it, you say, what's happening? What's going on? Where, where you can count the number that happens in 2,000 years, and now all of a sudden it is just skyrocketing. Well, I think there is an explanation for why it's skyrocketing. Two words, cardiac resuscitation. That coupled with a variety of other medical technologies, I don't know if this is a very medical way to say it, but we now have the ability when people have begun their journey, perhaps to the other side, to grab them by the ankle and jerk them back. We we can bring them back to this life. And I think that's a a little bit, maybe a big part of of what is going on in explaining why are all these near-death experiences happening. As a matter of fact, Gallup did a study. They studied hospitals, doctors, and patients and came up with the number that right now in America, there are 8 million people that have had an NDE. Folks, I I don't know that I would have guessed 800. I'm not sure I would have guessed 80, 8 million. And there's a lot of groups, several groups that would say that number is probably low because while these stories can be so big and even make money, what the statistics show is that a very significant portion of people don't share their experience. They, they don't talk about it. They don't tell others about it. They don't want others to know about it. And so they would say that that number even is low. And, and so you've got all these stories out there. What, what's going on? Are, are they real? Are they not real? What's happening there? And, and, you know, folks, part of it, you, I mean, when you look at these stories, they're, man, they're intriguing, they're interesting, they, they draw us in. But, but, folks, not every one of these stories is a Christian story. Uh, you know what? People of other faiths have NDEs. And guess what? Their experience kind of supports that view of heaven or, or that view of God. People with no faith have NDEs and describe some of the same kinds of things. So what do, what do we do with that? With all, do we just dismiss all the stories? Do we accept all the stories? What, what do we do with these? I want to try to answer three questions today as we look at that. First of all, what does the Bible say about what I'm going to use today, this word NDEs? What does the Bible say about near-death experiences? 
What what do these stories affirm? What, What can we take away from them? And then lastly, where should these stories move us? What, what do I got? You've heard the story. You've saw the movie. You know a friend. What do you do with that? Where does it send you and me as believers as we interact with these stories? So our first question, what does the Bible say about near-death experiences? It's, it's a little bit hard to come up with a clear comparison. There, there's not a verse. There's not a story that says this is an NDE and this is what the Bible thinks about it. But, but there's a, a variety of ways that, that people compare as a matter of fact, people will take the stories being told today, what, what they experienced on the other side, and they'll compare that to the information that, uh, that an Isaiah, uh, an Ezekiel, a John, or a Paul gives us. Now, that's not a clear apples-to-apples comparison because those guys didn't die. They weren't having a near-death experience. God allowed them, God took them, and, and they experienced the other side. They saw elements of it. They heard certain things, saw certain things. And we, now, here's where their story is important to us. Because we know for a fact that's from God. So, so that, what they gave us is from God. So that becomes our grid. That, that becomes our paradigm for then evaluating and looking at what these other stories are giving us. But it's, it's not a clean comparison. Now, the Bible also gives us some folks that died and came back to life. As a matter of fact, there are eight Eight. The Bible covers 1,500 years uh, in, from the time it started being right to the time it was concluded. 1,500 years and eight times we see somebody die and come back to life. Three of those eight times uh, it was Jesus. The other time it was a prophet or an apostle. But three of those times it was Jesus that was raising somebody. Now when I say eight, I'm not including Jesus And I'm not including, the Gospels tell us that when Jesus was resurrected, that the tombs opened up and others came out resurrected. We don't know that number. So I'm not including those. But there's eight individuals that died and and a prophet, an apostle, Jesus walked up to them and said, live, and they did. For for Jesus, the three times, Luke chapter 7, you might remember, he raises the widow's son. In Luke chapter 8, he raises Jairus' daughter. And those two stories seem maybe similar to what we're talking about in that the person who had died had been dead maybe a matter of minutes to hours, you know, a short time. Now, maybe the most famous person Jesus raised, uh, that famous story would be Lazarus, right? In John 11. Now, Lazarus is what we call dead dead. Already had the funeral dead. He's in the tomb. Really, really dead. And, and, and Jesus calls that old boy out. And, and so we have eight that might look similar, sound similar to what we're talking about. But now here's the problem. Okay, here's a, a, a near-death experience. They were dead. They saw, heard, experienced the other side. Now they're back. But here's where our comparison falls apart. We don't know what they saw, heard, or experienced. Not one time out of the eight do we get any story from them. As a matter of fact, I've heard some people, even some some speakers that I would really think very very highly of, make a point that, that none of these stories today can be true because the eight we saw in the Bible didn't tell their story. Now... I kind of get that criticism. I kind of get where maybe they're going with that. I I think it's a little bit hard to say they didn't tell their story. It's just that we don't know what they said or if they said. 
We don't know that Lazarus didn't say, Mary, Martha, his sisters, you're not going to believe this. Let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what. We don't know that Lazarus didn't spend the rest of his life on this earth talking about what he saw on the other side. We just don't know. Now, you can make... And I, be honest with you folks, I don't know what to do with this point. I, I don't know what it's to mean or not mean. But you could at least note that of the eight times somebody was raised to life, not one time did God choose to retor- record their story for us when they came back. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that God didn't believe you and I needed that to know him and to walk with him. Folks, that's what the Bible is. The Bible gives you and I the information we need to know God, faithfully and effectively follow God, and to enjoy him for all eternity. Even the gospel of John ends and says, John says, now listen, I didn't tell you all the miracles he did. I I didn't tell you everything he taught. So the Bible never suggests it's telling us everything. It's telling us everything we need to know when to follow God. But it is interesting that not one time out of eight Did God have recorded any of their story about what they experienced? So I think the most we can say of what Scripture shows us about near-death experiences is, yeah, it's a possibility. Eight times in the Scripture, somebody died and then was back walking around on this earth later. Whether it was hours, whether it was minutes, whether it was days, they died and they were walking around later on this earth. It, it, the Bible seems to suggest that is a, a possibility, though very rare in that time. Now, our second question is, okay, what do near-death experiences, what do these stories affirm for us? Now, you know what, folks, I think there's something pretty positive and exciting here. Now, this isn't This isn't parsing what's happening in the stories, but just the reality that it's happening is it seems, folks, there is a growing body of scientific data. And and that's, that's my key words here, scientific evidence that death is not the cessation of existence. A lot of science for a long time has said when you die, that's it. No more. There's nothing left. And yet there seems to be some data. There seems to be some study that says, no, there's something else. Something else is going on. People die and they're still living. They're still seeing. They're still hearing. They're still experiencing things. As a matter of fact, folks, right now in psychiatry, psychology, and in hospital medicine, those three fields all have studies of NDEs. They're all researching this. Not to do away with it. Not not to explain it away. But they're studying it as a reality of what is happening. So you now got science studying these things. I always think it's cool when science and all of their intelligence catches up with what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. Amen? Amen. Yeah, because th- that's not news to us that heaven's for real, is it? We, we can clap there, folks. Go ahead and get that out. Yeah. So science isn't telling us something. Science just is catching up. So we applaud science. Way to go, science. You're, you're catching up with where we've always been. Now, Okay, so there's just a simple, there's been an experience. Now, what do we do with those experiences? What do we do with those stories? You know, one saw this, one saw that. I I don't actually have a problem with with people giving witness to different things. I mean, folks, two people can go to the exact same beach and they're going to go away and they might describe a very different experience. If Karen and I go to the beach, she's going to go away saying one thing about it and I'm going to go away saying another thing about it. Okay, and you might wonder, were they even at the same place? 
And, and so, yes, that, that's possible that two people can experience something, what we would call very similar, and, and yet describe and experience different things. But as I said, you know, one is seeing this God and this heaven. Another is seeing this God and this heaven. People of no faith seem to experience some of the same things that, that pe- people of faith. How, how do we sort through all that? How, how do we understand what is going on with all of these different stories? Do we have, does somebody have the authority or the ability to say, you know what, they're all true. They're all not true. And I think probably would say, well, no, I don't know that we can say either. Okay, well, then how do we have the ability to start sorting through this one is, this one isn't? Now, here, here's my opinion. Yes. Are they true or are they not true? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think there are some that are real. I think there's something very real happening there. And the ones that I don't think are real are real. I do think something real happened. I can't tell somebody they didn't have an experience. I think it's very real. The question is... What did they experience? I think in some cases, probably very, very few, they're deceiving people. They're not telling the truth about what they said they saw, heard, or experienced. I think in many cases, they've been deceived. I'm not saying they're deceiving. They're telling the absolute truth. What they don't realize is that they were deceived in their experience. And you say, the other side, who, who would be deceiving them? God? Was God deceiving them? No, but, but, but God has somebody that counterfeits. God has somebody that dresses up and pretends to be somebody else. And he tells us that in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, He says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of what? Say, say it like you know it. Light. Did you say it out there at Midlothian? Okay, good. Angel of light. You know, it's interesting. All these NDEs talk about seeing the light. You know, it's interesting in scripture when people see a, a experience heaven, see a vision of heaven. That's not usually how it's described. Not suggesting what point that makes or not make. But I do know that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light to deceive. Well, why would Satan be deceiving people about the afterlife? Oh, that's not really that hard to figure out. Deceive people, give them a comfortableness, a confidence in their lostness. And not only give them a comfortableness and a confidence in their lostness, but then have them go back into the world and be a witness that good people, that good people experience the light. And that's just a quick way of explaining. Not all stories are saying the exact same thing. They say, so you're saying all these people have been deceived? No, I did not say everybody's been deceived. I think some of these things are probably real. I think some of them have been deceived and they're carrying this story. Well, how would I know? Man, I don't want, what if I have one? How do I know if I'm being deceived? Well, first of all, folks, that's what this book's all about, right? It tells us exactly what we need to know, how to evaluate what we're experiencing. And God says, listen, I promise you there's a deceiver out there. There's somebody that wants to trick you. Well, well, I I, want to be sure. I want to be sure. I mean, a lot of these stories, how, how, do, you, how do you tell? Folks, I'm going to give you three ways to know for sure whether you're being deceived or not. You want to write this down. You ready? Number one, the Bible. Number two, the Bible. Number three, can you guess it? The Bible. Good. I'm glad you all are taking notes. Folks, go to the Bible. Every single time, go to... The, if they're your best friend and you know they've walked with God all their lives and they tell you this story, guess what you should do? Go to the Bible. Folks, listen. We love stories around here, don't we? 
Man, yeah, we're, we're a storytelling people. We, we call them testimonies, right? We share our testimonies. We share our experiences with God. And that helps encourage each other's faith, build each other's faith. It, it helps sometimes motivate us in faith. We need stories. We need these testimonies. But we do not build our understanding of God on testimonies. We do not build our understanding of what it means to follow Christ based on testimonies. Folks, we build on one thing, and that's the Word of God. That's the only thing we build on is the Word of God. Now, this is kind of a good segue into our last question. And our last question is, okay, so I've heard this story. And man, the story used the name of Jesus, and it talks about things I believe in and, and I agree with. What do I do with that? Where, where do I go? Well, I said the Bible does not address NDEs, and it, and it doesn't. But boy, there's a story that runs right up into the neighborhood. It just runs right up into that topic, and it is a parable that Jesus tells. Look with me in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Luke's the third book in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. You get to John or Acts, you've gone too far. Luke chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. And and Jesus is telling a parable here. Now we need to understand something about a parable. A parable is a story. It is not necessarily true. In, In most cases, it's not. It uses true things going on in the world, and it is communicating a truth, but it's not necessarily this story happened with these characters. Jesus tells lots of parables. Some of his parables are two lines long. Some of them are very long. Today, we're going to read one of the longer parables that Jesus tells. And the goal, by the way, I'm not teaching on NDEs now. I'm teaching on parables, and that's just for free. You don't have to buy a ticket for this. A parable communicates one idea. Where where a lot of misinterpretation of parables happens is people start parsing every detail of the story. Oh, every detail is communicating something. No, it's not. Not by the genre of a parable. A, A parable carries a single idea. Some Bible scholars will say periodically you'll get a parable that has two or maybe even three. But that'd be the very most. It really, it's a story is being told to communicate a truth. Now let's see that Jesus is telling a story here. Let's see if we can figure out what truth is being communicated. Let's begin in verse 19. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. That's kind of a graphic story, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. I could have done without that part. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his his finger in water and cool, cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things. Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers who he apparently knows are as lost as him. 
I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, that, listen, they have Moses and the prophets. That phrase, Moses and the prophets, is the, a, a New Testament person's way of saying the Old Testament. They call it the Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Once or twice you'll see the law, the prophets, and the writings. But those are phrases all used to refer to the Old Testament. And so basically what Abraham is saying here, just said here is, listen, they got the Bible. Okay? Now listen to his response. Now Abraham said, they don't need Lazarus. They've got the Bible. No, Father Abraham. but, but, But if someone goes to them from the... Yeah, somebody goes from the dead, they'll repent. By the way, all of us in here believe that. All of, oh man, if somebody, man, if they saw a miracle, if they saw somebody from the dead. Verse 31, he said to them, if they don't listen, and I'm, I'm putting in the word here. If they don't listen to the Bible, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If someone should rise from the dead. Story's kind of interesting. Jesus seems to place Abraham at the pearly gates, doesn't he? Who in here thought it was Peter at the pearly gates? You don't have to raise your hand. We all know it's Peter, right? Because in verse, yeah, there is actually no verse that says Peter's at the, and I'm actually starting to make a point here, folks. We have a lot of ideas of heaven, probably more than any other subject in the Bible. We have a lot of ideas about heaven that don't come from what the scripture teaches about heaven. You see, you got, we got to think where do our jokes, our stories start to shape How we understand things. And so we know Peter, whether it's a good joke or a story, we know Peter is at the gates of heaven. But now we know it's Abraham, right? No. That's not the point of the story. Jesus is not telling this story so that you will know when you die, the first person you're going to see is Abraham. That's not the point of the story. You know, in this story, kind of weird, isn't it? People in heaven seem to be able to see people in hell. And gosh, they're even... They're even dialoguing back and forth, aren't they? Probably not the point of the story. That, that's not what Jesus is communicating here. That's, that's not what he's wanting you to leave with as he tells this. Well, what's the point of the story? How you live here is going to impact how you live there. If you're living for the, the, the joy, the pleasure, and the money of this day, you better enjoy every second because you're going to spend eternity not enjoying it. Man, may I tell you what, when you have people, how are you living is what this is. Are you, are you using what you've been given to bless others, to help others, to share others? Because it's gonna, not going to impact where you go. Only Jesus can impact where you go, heaven or hell. But how you live in heaven, how you live in hell, is very much made up on how we live on this earth. That's the point of the story. Now, this is a long parable. And if you were paying attention as I read, it almost has kind of a part one and a part two, doesn't it? You know, we're kind of talking about one thing, and then we switch gears. And so this is one a lot of Bible scholars say, you know, there's a second point being delivered here. And so when Lazarus realizes there's no relief from his torment forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, then he says, hey, listen, would you go take care of my brothers? Isn't it funny? We have, we have shirts and say, man, I'd rather party in hell with my friends. You know what? Nobody in hell wants anybody there with them. Not the person they love the most, not the person. If they, matter of fact, if they love him, they don't want him there. And so he says, hey, listen, would you send Lazarus back from the dead to my five brothers? Because that would change their life. And every one of us in here believes that. I would imagine many of us in here, we have a loved one, a family, a friend that we care about. And they're lost. We've prayed for their salvation. We've tried to share. And isn't it easy to think, man, if they, if they could see a miracle, 
Man, man, if they, wow, I'm going to take them to see heaven for real. Man, if they saw somebody come back from the dead, that would change them. Did you hear what Abraham said? Probably not. Probably not. Because this story seems to be delivering a second truth. And folks, that is that the word of God is more powerful to save than even a story from the dead. We're saved by God's word. It's God's word that leads us to salvation, not the stories of others. And folks, let me say it again. We love stories. We're going to keep, we saw, well, on, on the announcements today here out there at Midlothian, you know, we've had somebody tell a story about life group and what, we love stories. This isn't about stories are bad. Don't listen to stories. If somebody tells you a story, put your finger in your ears and run screaming away. No, no, no. But folks, we don't build our faith. We don't build our understanding of God, our understanding of heaven on stories. We build on God's word. You know, let me give you another illustration. For many of us in here, and I think this might be true for everybody. It's certainly true for, I think, about anybody about 35 and up. It's pretty hard to think of Moses without thinking of who? Charlton Heston. As a matter of fact, I bet Moses wants to meet Charlton Heston. I, man, you're just awesome. That was cool. You see, we've got this movie that has so shaped our understanding of who Moses is and and the Exodus. And I'll guarantee you there's folks in this room right now that you've got more understanding of Moses and the Exodus from that movie than you do the scriptures. Now, the good news is the movie's pretty close. The bad news is I just use the word pretty close. It's not the scriptures. You see, folks, when we hear these stories, I'm not talking about whether they're right or wrong. When we hear these stories, they're so near to us. And they seem so big and they seem so real. And pretty soon it is the story that is shaping what I know about God. It is the story that is shaping heaven and it's no longer the scriptures. And it is only the scriptures that have been given to us as the truth. Folks, at best, the story is just encouraging us to go right back to the scriptures. And see their power and see their validity. Folks, where, where a story, any story about heaven and hell or anything else, where a story, what a story should do in our lives is send us right back to God's word. You know, again, there's a variety of things we could begin to discuss about what people are seeing, hearing, and experiencing in NDEs. One of my biggest concerns is I think when you look at the whole of these stories, the, the big grouping of them. By the way, I don't think they do this in, in Heaven is for Real. I did not see the movie or read the book because I didn't want today's message to be about a critique of that movie or that book. So I haven't seen it, making no critique about that. But a lot of these stories seem to suggest good people see the light. Good, good people experience the good part of the other side. Is that what the Bible says, though? Does it say that, that good people go? Well, of course. Of course it says that. Of course good people go to heaven. Yeah, that happens. Question, what's good? How, how do I know what good is? How much sin do I commit before I'm no longer good? Or maybe flip the question around a little bit. How much good does it take for me to cover up the sin that I know is there. And good is a word of comparison, isn't it? It's good compared to what? If I'm good compared to you, what's that mean for you? Does it mean you got to go find somebody that, I, well, I'm good compared to them? You know, folks, oddly enough, the scripture does not say that good people go to heaven. It says that perfect people go to heaven. People who are perfectly holy, people who are perfectly like God. Perfect is not 99.9. 
Perfect means never a miss, not one miss in your entire life. You're not perfect. That's what the scripture says. I have to be perfectly like God. And I don't have to wonder, well, I I think I I don't have to wonder how that evaluation is going to turn out. The scripture's already answered that for me in Romans 3.23. It says, for all, whether you've had an NDE or not, whether you've seen the light or not, all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. They've fallen short of God's glory. They've fallen short of who God is. Folks, the bottom line is, I am not, you are not, we're not like God. We're not like his heaven. We absolutely do not belong there at all. But the Bible gives us a word, gospel. It means good news. There is a God who love beyond love, grace beyond grace, desires to see you not stuck in that position, not stuck in that status. And so he enters this world and he pays the penalty for your wrong, but he does more than than take care of your debts. Your life is actually credited with his righteousness so that when God sees you, he sees his son. He sees your perfect holiness. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, not if you confess with your mouth a God, a higher power. Hey, listen, they're all ultimately trying to do the same thing and get to the same place. So you just confess one of them. You just grab a hold of one of them, showing your best efforts to understand and and your best efforts to get there. If you'll confess a religion, no. It says a, a person very, very specific. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe something very specific about him. His death and resurrection on your behalf. Then and only then will you be saved from being so much unlike God. And unlike his heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody, no matter what religion you choose, no matter what experiences you have, nobody gets to the Father except through me. Folks, the Bible has said there is a very real hell and there is a very real heaven and very real people are going to spend all eternity in hell and very real people are going to spend all eternity in heaven. And the only intersection for those two places is the person of Jesus Christ and your faith, what you've done with him. You are going somewhere, whether you come just for a quick trip and you come back. Or like most, you go and keep going. You're going somewhere. What will your story be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to sort through this and and, and figure it out. You give us the truths that we need to evaluate. The truths we need to discuss, the, the, the truths we need to know so that we're not deceived. There's no reason for anybody to be deceived, even with a great deceiver like Satan. You've given us everything we need. You've told us there's a heaven. You've told us there's a hell. You told us we're not prepared for heaven. Our, our default location is hell. Unless something changes. And God, you brought the change in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now that you would move through this room, Holy Spirit. Speak to every heart in here. Lord, many people in this room have gone to church, if not all of their lives, most of it. They believe Christian stuff. They do Christian things. 
God, I pray that you'd move through this room right now. Romans chapter 8 says, if we're genuinely saved, there's a confidence, there's a knowledge, there's a security in that. Lord, if there's anybody in here who doesn't have that security, that knowledge, would you tell them right now? Tell them in your love and in your grace that they're not ready for heaven. Let them know that today you desire that they be ready and that you've provided a way for them to be ready. And may today be the day that happens. Oh, Lord, today's the day we honor our moms. Lord, may we realize we can honor no person, we can honor no thing, we can't honor anything in this life until we honor the creator of life, the creator of moms, the creator of families. Gospel of John tells us that the will of God is that we believe on his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's an individual, individuals that need to do that today, may it be today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.